but I have heard it being said multiple times already during the month of January, seen it on social media, heard it from different friends, you may have heard it too, people are saying that February is the new January. Have you heard that? No. I've heard that going around. And at first I was like, well, what does that mean? People are saying February is the new January. And I've noticed also a worldwide trend in um, people who are doing self-help things or bloggers or people who, um, you know, just uh, maybe life coach, that kind of thing. There's a worldwide trend taking place where people are more and more taking the month of January to rest. That doesn't mean that they don't work or, you know, don't do those kind of things. But a lot of people are taking January sort of as a stock take as a slow down month because December is so crazy. Um, and you know, I, I found myself asking why, why is that happening? Why, why is this trend happening? And I think it's because we're busier than we've ever been worldwide. You know, technology has made us capable and able to do so much more, but now we're having to deal with the reality of what doing more actually means for our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. And we're having to kind of catch up with, okay, wait a minute, what does this mean? I've got to adjust how I'm living. So I don't know whether that trend is here to stay of February being the new January, but I think worldwide people are realizing, wait a minute, I can't live this way all the time, nonstop. So the word rest, the actual definition of the word rest means to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. That's what rest means. And so as we're here, if, if this is really the beginning of our year, if February is the new January, as we're beginning this year, I just really felt um, to share some things that I know the Lord's been doing in my heart over the past few months, and just to kind of speak it over us as a church body of the way that we believe we want to live in the rest of God. Um, so let's just receive that today. Again, rest means to cease work or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. So I just want to share with you on a personal note, 2017 was a, was a big year for us as a family. We arrived in Detroit at the end of 2016, and so really 2017 was really the year that this church was birthed and that uh, the, the first initial work began to take place. And um, there was a lot more, I think, physical exertion and uh, spiritual exertion and all kinds of exertion than I had maybe anticipated or realized what it was actually going to take out of me. Uh, the stamina that's needed to move into a new territory, physically, spiritually, um, to move myself and my family into that place and to begin to live out our lives from a new home base. Um, the, the generating of momentum uh, for that to begin to take place, keeping my family and myself healthy and whole and moving forward in all the areas that we need to move forward in practical life during that season, um, the work of investing into new relationships and forming new partnerships from scratch, putting a footprint of a church on the map here in Detroit, establishing that we are here, uh, we are worshipers, we are Jesus lovers, we're here to serve the city. All of that takes work to put that footprint on the ground and digging new wells and uncovering old ones, so to speak, spiritually. A lot of that is work. And that, that year, 2017, required a lot of me, emotionally, physically, spiritually. It was just a heavy year for me. And I tend to be a pretty organized person. I, I understand the rhythms of life. Um, I've even taught women's groups. I've done curriculums on 
the importance of understanding what fills your tank and not living your life on empty. Those aren't new concepts to me, um, and I'm pretty good at putting those things into place. But nonetheless, at the end of 2017, as we approached Christmas weekend, I felt like I just kind of fell into that weekend like a runner crossing you know, and stumbling over the finish line. That's the way I felt. And um, I just said to Paul, you know, I, I'm like done like done, like on empty, like below empty. And I made it through Christmas Day. But then the day after Christmas, I was just like spinning. And I was actually really beating myself up in not a good way. But I was down on myself for being physically and emotionally spent because I know better. I know better than to get myself into that kind of a place. But I was beating myself up and my heart was just like aching. And, and I felt so raw and I felt so finished. And I was like searching for God kind of frantically. I mean, I was literally like locked up in my room, like I need to rest. But my heart was just sort of like racing and searching for God. And in my spirit, I just heard the words of Isaiah 40 begin to rise up in my heart. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So it was like this lifeline that I felt like the Lord was giving to me. And I remembered that in October, one of my best friends in South Africa had sent me that passage from the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation is sort of a new translation that's out that's um, uh, through a lot of study of the roots of the original language. They've put out a new translation, and she had felt to send me that passage of Isaiah 40 in the, in the Passion. So I grabbed my notebook where I had written it down that day on the 26th of December, and I begin to read what the Passion Translation says. So if you have your Bible and want to look at Isaiah 40, you can look at it. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Isaiah 40 and verses 28 through 31 is what I want to read. It says, The everlasting God, the Creator, does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint and weary. He increases strength. Even young people will be weary and stumble and be exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not become tired. And my eyes just honed in on the 26th of December. My eyes honed in on that phrase. Even young people will be weary and stumble and be exhausted. And I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, it's okay. It's okay that you feel exhausted. Here I was beating myself up for getting into this state. And he showed me in his word where he said, even young people who are vigorous and strong, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be at 41. I still feel really young. I still feel like I'm 21. I'm not. But, but even young people, even though I feel like I should have strength and power, even young people will feel exhausted and will stumble and will fall. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's okay. It's okay. And so I'm learning that no matter how much we try to have healthy boundaries and good rhythms and good practices, and we can't always be increasing our understanding of that and making adjustments, and we should be, there just are moments and seasons in our lives that simply take it out of us. And even in the plan of God and in his good plans for us, at times that is going to happen, and at times it's okay. So we don't want to live in that state of exhaustion. We don't want to stay in that place. But there are moments that in doing the will of God, we will be exhausted. And the key, I think, is to say, to recognize that and to know, okay, I need a pause. I need a rest. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to refill me. 
And that had been one of those seasons for me. Thank God that our strength and our power can be renewed, that we can be filled again. So how does that happen? Um, it says that those who stumble and fall and exhausted, that, that they will be fall, they will fall and they'll be exhausted. But then it says, but those who wait for the Lord. Wait is not really a word that we use in that same way today. Waiting is kind of a bad thing. If we're waiting for something, it's like, come on, you know, I have to wait, I have to wait. But the wait that is, is being talked about here, the word wait just means to stay where one is or delay action until a particular time or until something else happens. And that's what I needed. I needed, just, I needed to just stay where I was and wait and delay any more further action until something happened. I needed something to happen to bring me to the next step. And I think sometimes we don't do that. We don't wait. We don't pause. We don't wait for something to change or for something to happen. We just try to keep going. And we just try to keep, and we stumble and we, we stumble and we fall because we're not waiting. If you look up the meaning of that word wait in scripture, in, in the Hebrew language, so I just gave you the definition in English about waiting until something happens. In the Hebrew, the word wait means to expect, look for, and hope in God. So the way my heart was racing that day, looking for him, searching for him, that's the kind of waiting on God that needs to happen in those moments when we feel exhausted, to search for him, to reach for him. So it's not rest without a purpose. Does that make sense? It's not rest that's just crashing into the ground and eating a whole bunch of Doritos and, you know, you know I don't know, whatever does your stuff, you know, like, but it's a rest with a purpose. It's a rest that's reaching out to recognize the source of your strength and where you need to be filled from. And then I love that this Passion Translation says that those who wait on God shall change. I love that word change. It's actually kind of unique there. Shall change and renew their strength and power. And I thought of a remote, brought our remote from home. And if the remote stops working, you know, what do you do? You open it up and you change the batteries, right? You have to take the old batteries out and you have to put new batteries in because that strength is dead and you need more strength. And that's what the scripture says here. When you're waiting on God, it's like changing your batteries. It's like taking those old batteries out and putting new batteries in. There's an exchange that happens between you and God where you say, I'm, like I was telling Paul that day, I'm like done, like I'm on flat, I'm on empty. I needed my batteries changed. I needed God's batteries to be put in me, so to speak. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a, um, she's a cognitive neuroscientist and a brain and learning specialist. And if you, if you haven't read her stuff, I encourage you to read. She's got books out. She's on social media. She's got some really awesome information. She's a Christian. She's a really, really strong believer. So it's all word-based. Um, but she is uh, also a PhD scientist. Um, so she's studied many years. She has studied the brain, the, the brain-mind connection. So the, the physical, scientific side of the brain together with the way our minds work and the way we are as beings who live out our lives. And I just saw this that she posted the other day. She said, we take better care of our smartphone than ourselves. We know when the battery is depleted and recharge it. And that's true. I mean, how many times, I, probably twice a day, I charge my phone because I use it so much. I mean, I use it for emails. I use it for internet. I use it for my calendar. I use it, you know, constantly. It's like my little computer I carry around. And when I see that red, I go plug it in. I don't wait. I'm like, oh, no, my phone can't die. I can't live without my phone. So we're better at recharging our smartphones than we are at recharging our own selves. 
And this scripture here from the Passion Translation, I love that it says that when we wait on him, he, he renews that change. He brings that renewed power. And, and I love that the implication there is that it's as often as we need it. And I just think that needs to kind of sink into our thinking, that it's as often as we need it. That I might feel especially exhausted one particular day, or I might feel like, for whatever reason, I don't have as much energy, or something has taken more out of me this week than the usual week. As often as we need it, as often as we see that red light flashing, we can go plug ourselves into him and allow that change and that exchange to take place. It goes on to say in Isaiah 40 that they shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles, just as they mount up to the sun. And I watched a video this week as I was prepping for this on, um, on YouTube, and it was of the scientist who had an eagle on his arm. He was, the eagle was strapped um, to an apparatus on the scientist's arm, and there was a little bit of space with these um, cords to where the, the, the feet of the eagle were strapped, but there was a little space for the eagle to lift off the arm. And they had this eagle in a wind tunnel, and they started the wind tunnel, and the, the speed of the wind went up to like t- between 25 and 30 miles an hour. And so the, the, before they started the wind, the, the eagle was just resting on the scientist's arm with, with his wings down, just sitting on the scientist's arm. And this was a trained eagle that had been used in films, so he wasn't freaking out or anything. He's sitting on the scientist's arm, as soon as that breeze started, as soon as he said, now watch this, as soon as that wind started, the eagle just did this, just put his wings up, and when the, when the wind was at full blast, they cut the, the cords, and the eagle just flew through this tunnel, and he said, I want you to notice how he didn't put forth any energy or any exertion of his own. All he did is he just lifted his wings, and he soared on the wind. And that's what is, is being said here. That when we wait on God, when we pause, all what we're doing in effect spiritually is we're just going like this. And it doesn't actually require our energy or our strength or our exertion to get that momentum going again. We're just lifting our wings. And we're saying, God, I need you. I need your power, your energy to give me what I need to lift me to give me that momentum forward. Because, verse 28 says, he does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the weak, and he increases our strength. My strength comes from him. My stamina comes from him. Strength is defined as the quality or state of being strong. Strength is power. It means that there's power in something, to do something. Stamina, on the other hand, is the ability to sustain prolonged physical or mental effort. It requires wisdom because it requires a certain, it's a different, it's, it's a different situation. Stamina requires that you're actually thinking about how you're going to prolong your strength, that you're not just going to exert it all at once. Stamina is the ability to prolong that strength um, and to reserve some of it. Um, And I think that's important because this passage ends with verse 31. It says, they shall run and not be weary. And that also was the other exciting part of it that just hit me between the eyes on the 26th of December when I read that. Once again, I'd read it before, but it hit me freshly. I loved reading that we are supposed to run, that we're meant to run. That is actually what we're designed to do. We're not supposed to live lives of rest, actually. I mean, we are living in the Lord's rest. 
but not in, the, not in the sense of stillness. Our lives are not supposed to be stationary. Our lives are not supposed to be sedentary. Our lives are actually meant to be a race that we run. It says they will run and not grow weary. And so I felt the Lord saying to me that day, it's okay that you're exhausted, but the purpose of your rest is so that you can run. It's not rest for the sake of rest itself. We're just not supposed to run on empty. And you know, as, as, as I look around the popular things that are being said around the world today, a lot of them are good because I think a lot of, um, I think the, the world, including the church, has needed to learn how to rest again. But I, I think as often as the case, when truth is coming, often the pendulum swings too far. And I think right now that there's a little bit of a concern in my heart for a lot of the self-care that's out there um, about slowing down, simplifying, being still, that it's almost like we've come to the point of having rest for the sake of rest itself and indulging in the luxury of it alone and embracing the slow-paced life. And, and, and we just need to remember, we need to hold that intention that Scripture has instructed us to run. There's a purpose in our, in our rest, and we get that strength for our running from moments of rest. I feel this is described well in Galatians 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I think our society has become weary, um, but if we become weary and we start to give up, then we'll lose our harvest. So it's important that we learn to rest so that we can bring it all the way through to the point of our harvest. So don't lie down. Don't give up. Um, don't grow weary to the point of losing your harvest, but it's important that we learn to pace ourselves and have the stamina to go all the way through. So how do we do this? How, how are some ways that we get this rest, that we receive the strength from the Lord? I've been reading this book by Shauna Meekest um, called Present Over Perfect, and I just want to read a quote from this book. She says, Christians want to make a difference. So we do, and 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 then we find ourselves exhausted. And then she says, it seems to me that Christians, even more than anyone else, ought to be deeply grounded, living a courageous rhythm of rest, prayer, service, and work. That rhythm is biblical, and it's one that Jesus himself modeled. And I love that she calls it a courageous rhythm, that even our rest can be courageous, that I understand that I rest so that I can run. And there's courage in that. And it is biblical, as she pointed out. And Jesus himself rested. I read this passage in Mark 6 a few years ago. I was reading through the Gospels, and I just came to Mark 6 as, as the next reading of the day that I was going through while we were living in South Africa. And I read this, and I saw a few things that I had just never seen before. From Mark 6, I want to read. Verse 7 says, Jesus called the twelve to himself, and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So they went out, verse 12, so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed oil, many who were sick, and healed them. So they were busy with many good things. They were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. They were, they were, preached, um, they were preaching the good news. They were, they were doing all these good things, but they were really, really busy. And then verse 30 says, Then the apostles gathered back to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And Jesus said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. 
That's how busy they were, Jesus and the apostles. They did not even have time to eat. Have you had days like that? Mm -hmm. I had a day like that a couple weeks ago. Where I actually thought, if I don't eat lunch, then I'll have enough time. And I was like, what? What? That's ridiculous. How is that good for you? If I don't eat, then I'll have time to get what I need. To. I'm like, wait, there's something wrong there, you know? So that's the state they were in. that They didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus said, come by yourselves and, and rest a while. I had never noticed that Jesus said rest, that that was actually what was needed in that moment, more than doing more healing, more than doing more preaching, more than doing more good things that he had asked them to do. He said, now the moment has come that you need to rest. And so that's what they did. They got in a boat, they departed to a deserted place, and they rested for a while. So physical rest is important, as well as spiritual renewal and refreshing and rest. That same passage, verse 45 of that same chapter, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitude away. Jesus, our Lord, who loves people and does miracles, actually sent people away. And when he had sent them away, he, Jesus, departed to the mountain to pray. And so we know that in the life of Jesus, we see the rhythm of ministry, and prayer, going to the mountain to pray, ministry, going back and refueling himself in the presence of his father, more ministry, but he sent people away, and there are moments and there are times where you need to send the work away, where you need to send people away, not in an ugly way, not in an ungracious way, but the answer is not always do more. That is not always the correct answer, because we will end up being on empty. In Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And we know that our souls are our minds, our will, our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's what our soul is. And there's moments that we need to rest our minds. We need to rest our will that is so strong. We need to rest our emotions. Jesus says that we will find that kind of rest when we come to him. I'm finding in this life, I think today, actually, I'm realizing that, that there's a lot that is wanting to drain our emotional strength. There's a lot that's wanting to emotionally cause us to be weary. I think one of our biggest emotional drains can be social media. And if this doesn't apply to you, don't worry about it. If it doesn't fit, don't wear it. But some of you might know what I'm talking about. And it can actually be an emotional drain. It can be emotional noise. Um, at the end of last year, when I was feeling the way I was feeling, along with it came this, like, disdain for, I was like, do not, I don't want to see anything on social media. And it was actually surprising to me how strongly I felt it. I was like, Get it away from me. I don't want to hear one more opinion, good or bad, about the president. I don't want to take your survey. Survey. I don't want to watch your cute video. I don't really care what you got for Christmas. You know, that's the way I was feeling. And sometimes it doesn't help me emotionally to know what people are up to. Sometimes it really doesn't help me at all emotionally. Or to know what they think about something. Sometimes that's actually really bad for me emotionally. Um, and the funny thing is that I think that we use, sometimes we use this constant flow of information to try to soothe our hurting hearts. 
I think sometimes when we're aching and feeling empty, feeling on empty, we reach for something to fill us, and it's easy, it's accessible, it's right there, and we try to actually soothe ourselves with it. But the funny thing is that it's actually having the opposite effect on us. And I'm finding that sometimes we, and, and that's what I did at the end of last year, I just kind of separated myself for a few days from any social media or any news reading or any stuff like that. I turned it off so that I could feel again and so I could reconnect to my source. I think sometimes we don't want to feel and we reach for things to fill us, but sometimes we really need to feel deeply what we are feeling, the hunger in our souls, our need for God, the questions we have, the things that we need to think about and not just think about everything else that's popping up in front of us for our attention. Sometimes we need to turn it off so that we can feel and reconnect. And I, actually before Christmas, I had put this into place a few months ago. This is something that I've just decided to do, that unless I need to be on social media for something, like part of what I do for administrative stuff for the church is that I'll post things for the church. And, um, but unless I'm doing something like that during the day, I'm, I'm really trying not to go to it during the day. I'll check it at some point during my morning, not the first thing in my morning, it's not the first thing I turn to, but at some point in my morning, I'll usually just sort of see what's going on, and then once at night, I'll do that. And again, not the last thing at night, not the last thing I'm thinking about, but at some point of relaxation at night, I'll try to do that, but I've really tried to discipline myself to no longer check it throughout the day, because it's just such a time waster, and such it, it messes with my, the track of where I need my mind, and where I need my heart. So that's something that I'm really trying to discipline myself to do. Um, social media is a tool, and it's fun. We just need to steward it. We need to steward it well. Just don't let it become noise and distraction. Don't let it steal so much of our head space and our heart space and our time. I think sometimes no wonder that we struggle to hear the still, small voice of God. There's just so much noise. And sometimes we need to shut that off. Um, these things don't actually... You fill in the blank. Maybe for you it's not social media, but the things that we reach for to charge us or renew us, they don't actually fill us. Um, and we need to not be afraid to feel the hunger of our souls. Hunger is a good thing. Hunger leads us to growth. Yes. Hunger leads us to more. Hunger is a sign of life, that I'm yes. actually growing. Hunger is a good thing. Don't be afraid to feel your hunger. Check your hunger. Are you hungry? You should be hungry. On the inside, you should feel like there's more for me. There's more for me. That's a good thing. But we need to be hungry for God's word. What is God saying? We need to be hungry for God's presence and allow his spirit to fill us. We need to be hungry to hear him speak to us. We need to be hungry for relationships to pour into us. Good relationships, healthy relationships. That's a good thing. I think there's something that happens in us as we begin to seek out rest for our souls, our minds, our will, our emotions. And I, that thing that happens is that our hearts begin to be healed. And that's something that I've been experiencing on another level. Scripture teaches us that hearts are the seats of our will. That's, our heart is, is where um, it's, the, it's the center of our being. It's the core of who we are. That's what our heart does. It's the very center of who I am. And many of us need our hearts healed. And I think that God is always wanting to bring more and more and more healing to all of our hearts. I was reading this week in the book of Esther. I was reading about Esther. Esther was a queen, and she was married to King Ahasuerus. How do I say that? 
Ahasuerus. I don't know. She was the queen. She was married to a king in the Old Testament. She was able, with the help of God, to raise her voice and use her influence to save the Jewish people from destruction during her husband's reign. At the beginning of their story, before she was made queen, before she was even invited to be the queen by the king, she had to go through these preparations. And you read about it in Esther 2, verse 12, and it describes these preparations that she went through for 12 months before she even met the king for the first time, before she was made queen. 12 months of preparation. And it's described in Esther 2, verse 12. It says, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying. And I just thought, what is that oil of myrrh? What is the significance of that oil of myrrh? Why did she have to take baths in this oil of myrrh for six months and rub it into her skin? What, what, what was that oil of myrrh? What does that do? Even on a physical level, I wanted to know why did they use oil of myrrh? And so I just researched a little bit what oil of myrrh does. Oil of myrrh has healing properties. It cleanses. It purifies. It removes poisons and infection. It soothes. Oil of myrrh is an antioxidant. It removes funguses, viruses, parasites, and inflammation. It's an expectorant, and it can relieve involuntary spasms. Do you ever feel like you have emotional involuntary spasms? I do sometimes. They feel like they're involuntary. They're not. But I loved reading that that was part of the purpose of oil of myrrh. Obviously, that was like physical muscle spasms. But you know where I'm going with this in a spiritual sense. Oil of myrrh was the primary ingredient for making the holy anointing oil prescribed by God. So when they would make the oil that they would anoint things with or anoint people with in the Old Testament, oil of myrrh was like 50% of what made up that concoction. So as Esther was being prepared and anointed for her calling, for the way that she was going to serve, the way she was going to minister, the very oils that were anointing her for and preparing her for that were also healing her. They were purifying her. They were removing unwanted things from her physical body. So in a spiritual sense today, where, where is that oil of myrrh for us? What is that oil of myrrh? And how do we get it to work in our lives to bring that healing and that purifying and to reduce the inflammation in our hearts? Um, whenever we read about oil in scripture, it's always being used to anoint someone or something for the, for the specific purpose that they were made for. So when we receive the anointing of God, when we receive that oil of myrrh for us, the purpose of it is to prepare us for the reason that God made us. When Jesus was set apart into his ministry, he wasn't anointed with oil, but he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, the Spirit came upon him. And we read from in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking well, Isaiah 61 wasn't, it was a prophecy, but then Jesus quoted it when he started this ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Spirit of God is the anointing. And there's another scripture in the New Testament that says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. So the way that Jesus was anointed is that he carried the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is our oil of myrrh. That's what we have in the New Testament. It is the Spirit of God. That's how we are healed. That's how we are cleansed. That's how we are purified. Just like Esther was purified and prepared, that's how we are purified and prepared, by receiving the Spirit of God. Just like Jesus was, as New Testament followers of Jesus, we are anointed not with physical oil, even though there are moments that we use physical oil to represent the Holy Spirit. Primarily, it's not through physical oil. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are anointed. 
when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, when we consecrate our time to the Lord, when we pull aside and rest in his presence and wait in his presence, we are setting ourselves a time to God, aside to God. We're setting our, our time aside to God. We're, we're calling it holy. And he comes and he anoints us with the oil of his spirit. It's these baths of this oil of myrrh, so to speak, bathing in his spirit, so to speak, in his presence. These are the moments that purge us, that release toxins from our life, as we forgive, as we release things that we don't need to be holding on to, we're healed, we're refreshed, we're renewed, we're prepared, just like Esther was, to carry the fragrance then of that oil out for the purpose that God's given to us. This happens in secret, but its purpose is for deliverance. It happens in secret. We rest, we change the batteries, we recharge, we pull away. But the purpose for it is not just for our own good. Yes, it brings deliverance to us, but the purpose of it is to deliver a nation, just like it was for Esther. Yeah. The purpose of those 12 months of oils and perfumes was that so that she could be in her rightful place that God had prepared for her so she could bring deliverance and save her, all the Jewish people. Yeah, that was the purpose. So when we rest, when we wait, something as simple as that, resting and waiting on God, refueling my batteries, recharging receiving his spirit, it happens in quiet and secret, and it seems so ins insignificant, but its purpose is for deliverance, and it's powerful when we receive from God. There's a friend of mine in Canada. Her name is Emma. She and her husband lead a church there, and I was talking to her on the phone in January, and she was just telling me about all we were catching up because we hadn't talked for quite a few months, and she was catching me up on all the things that she's got going on, the plans that she's got for 2018, and She's already had a children's workers workshop for the, their region. They've had people come in from other churches to be trained in how to conduct children's ministry. She's having a women's conference at the end of this month. And um, I've never really known her to, to do a lot of these things. And I was like, wow, Emma, you're, you've got a lot going on. Like, you really are busy this year. And she, she reminded me, she, she said, remember last year when you were here, when, when our family went to visit them, she said, do you remember how we were really in a healing Situation, like She said, like, I was going through healing. She said, God was showing me places I needed to forgive, where I needed to release. They had been through a really bad ministry situation a few years before that had left them hurt. And she said, we were, she said last year, at the beginning of last year, we went through healing. God healed our hearts. He opened our eyes. Um, we let go. Um, there was forgiveness, she said. And, and she said, it's like all of a sudden this year, or toward the end of last year, she said, all of a sudden I had vision again. She said, all of a sudden, I had capacity again. Whereas before, I felt like I couldn't add one more thing to my plate. I felt like I was barely making it. She said, all of a sudden, nothing really has changed physically. In fact, she had a baby. Like, she's got more on her plate. But she said, all of a sudden, I've got capacity. I've got vision. And I said, wow, Emma. I said, that. I said, I've said that for years, but you are such a perfect example right now to me of how when healing of the heart comes, that is so key to capacity into vision. Yeah. If we feel limited in our vision and our capacity, there's probably some healing that needs to take place in our hearts. We have um, an ability to see what God sees and to carry what God carries when our hearts are whole. And we can't do that when our hearts are not whole. And this is proven to us by the word in Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. The Passion Translation says that same verse like this. Pay attention 
to the welfare of your innermost being. For, there, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Let's not be people who don't pay attention to the welfare of our innermost being. Let's not be people who just try to get on with it and just keep stuffing everything down and sure, I can do it, I can do it, you know. Let's pay attention to the welfare of our innermost being so that life can come out of us, so that we can accomplish much. So what am I saying today? The main thing is, did you show the eagle when I was talking about the eagle? No, let's go ahead, that's all right, I forgot to tell you. Let's put that eagle up. I just want to, Remind us, yeah, that's fine, keep it there, that what that eagle's doing there is actually just lifting its wings. And it's allowing the wind of God to give it the strength and the energy that it needs. I'm asking that we do that. I'm asking that we, as a church, as people, as, as I'm, I'm wanting to kind of speak into the culture a little bit today of who we are, that we pay attention to our hearts, that we pay attention to our strength or the lack thereof physical, emotional, spiritual, that we pay attention to who we are as the beings that God's created us to be, that we allow healing to happen inside us as often as we need it, that we allow the Lord to do that, that we have whole hearts and inner lives so that we can run in 2018 like God's called us to do. Paul and I are committed to that. We're committed to being healthy and whole. We're committed to the rest that's needed. Um, and practically, because this really does filter down to a very practical uh, reality in our lives. I believe that rest happens daily. We all have a daily need for rest of our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. I believe rest happens weekly. Rest happens quarterly and annually, if you think about it, on different levels, different needs. You know, there's a top-up of rest that I need daily. That's the sleeping hours or whatever, or just moments of relaxation. But then there's maybe another level of rest that you need annually or quarterly. You know, just a, a pause, a relook at things. And practically, I just want to encourage you. This is something that Paul and I do. This is very similar to if you guys have heard me talk about capacity before. Usually when I teach that, I talk about tank fillers, things that fill your tank. And it's important to make sure that you actually give space to those in your planner and in your schedule. But the same would be for rest, okay? Um, very practically, and one of the exercises that Paul and I do regularly, at least annually, I probably do it quarterly just for myself personally, is this simple exercise. First of all, I list the responsibilities that I'm committed to. I just list them down on a piece of paper, paper, and I note anything that I need to uncommit myself to for this season. Maybe it's an activity that's not really producing fruit. Maybe it's something I'm just not enjoying. Maybe it's something that God hasn't said to do, that I felt compulsion to do. And if there is anything that I need to uncommit myself yeah. to, I do that graciously. Good. And I do that at the right moment. And I don't leave people hanging. Right. I might have to work myself out of that, but I make a change if necessary. Okay, we're responsible to be stewards of our time, especially things that are stealing our rest, if that's happening. If there's no time for rest, then something's wrong. And then some, the third thing is that you plan for rest as we've discussed today. Like I actually have a schedule every day to where I try to be in bed by a certain time, try to get up by a certain time. There's certain margin that's worked into my day to where I'm not on full blast all day long. There's moments of pause. There's moments of, of refueling with my family, of refueling with God. There's a moment every day that I know I'm gonna sit with him and refuel. 
Um, Bill Hybels wrote a book called Simplify that I read a couple years ago, and he talks about the importance of having a spot. And he said, that may sound silly, he said, but for years and decades that's worked for him. And I thought, you know, that's been important for me too. As I look back over my life, my time with God, my refueling time with God really began to get traction when I had a spot. And now, no matter where we've lived, I've always had a spot that I go to to meet with God daily. Maybe that's not important for you. For me, it's really helped. It's really helped me to know that when I'm in that spot, when I'm in that place, this is that time to refuel and to connect with God. So plan for that rest. Plan for those refueling moments. Again, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a quarterly basis. When is that time going to be in the year where you look at your year? When are you going to do that? You got to plan for it and make sure that you're hitting the mark with where you want to go, where you feel God's calling you to go. And then number four is that you put some boundaries in place, things that are healthy for your family. One of the things that we've had in place for the last few years is that we do no more than three nights a week of either having people over or being out or going to meetings. We have found that that works for us. We can do about three nights a week, and if we go beyond that, we start to feel it. So boundaries like that that just keep you healthy. And again, it's not just for my own comfort. Those three nights a week sometimes take work, and they take exertion, and they take planning, and they take the whole family being on board with what we're doing and why we're doing it, and you know? So it's not just like cushy cozy. There's cost involved, but we realize that if we go beyond that, we struggle. So healthy boundaries in place. And then number five is now sit with your planner, sit with your schedule, and actually put those things into place. And you will be amazed how something practical like that changes your life. And you feel like, oh, I can breathe, I've got margin, and yeah, I'm working really hard, but I'm okay because I know I'm going to rest at this moment. And I know I'm going to be refueled by God in this moment. So practical things really do matter like that. Um, The importance of not overcrowding and leaving a little bit of margin in our lives is a, is a spiritual thing that Jesus modeled. Um, and let's make sure that our calendars look like we're running this year. That we actually look like we're running with the vision that God's given us. That we've made space for those things. That we're not running out of time for the things that God told us to do. That's not being a good steward. Okay, let's pray. And Kurt, I think we're going to do a song.